0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another odd and macabre episode of Vamp Jen's Corner, an extension of my official blog site of the same name, which you can visit at jenboskets.com. I'm your host, Vamp Jennifer, or Vamp Jen, whatever suits your fancy. Okay, so last year when the pandemic first hit and everyone was in quarantine mode, I thought to myself, everyone needs a break from reality, and nothing provides that more readily than a good book. I know for myself, books are a wonderful escape, and not just for when times are crazy, but any I'm a total bookworm who loves stories with a dark edge, so I had decided to create a list of must-read dark books with varying levels of darkness. Some embody gallows humor, while others are just plain morbid. Even if you're not a big reader, I think you'll still really enjoy hearing about the recommendations I'm going to talk about. I didn't want to mention big names related to horror and gothic fiction like Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe, Anne Rice, Clive Barker, and the like, since most people are familiar with these writers and the types of genres they're associated with. So the books and authors I'm going to share here you may not have heard of. And if you're listening to this podcast, you might be someone who prefers listening to stories rather than reading them yourself, which is totally cool. I'm sure most of these books are available as audiobooks, and there are even movie adaptations of a couple. As always, I'll include links in the show notes to where you can find the blog post version of this episode and any relevant information to the content discussed. First up is The Three Nights of the Vampire Trilogy by Amy Cross. This author is a prolific writer, releasing books nearly every month it seems. Last I checked, she has more than 200 horror stories under her belt. I have to say I'm a bit envious given that I'm still trying to finish writing the one novel I'm currently working on, but I won't go into that. The titles in the trilogy include The Vampire Falls, The Vampire Burns, and The Vampire Rises. The series follows a young woman who has relocated to Paris and finds herself unexpectedly in the center of a feud between two ancient sibling vampires. There were some good action scenes and the author has a knack for implementing interesting twists in her plots. Now, you all know that I love vampires and vampire literature. I will say that these books are not on the level of Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles. You're not going to find the same depth and soulful existential longing and meanings in Cross's trilogy the way you do in Rice's books. And this might be in part due to the fact that because the author comes out with books frequently, she may not be dedicating as much time to developing profound themes or complex characters for readers to explore. Just expect a light, fun, action-packed vampire story if you decide to dig your fangs into the pages. I've read other works by the author and her horror storylines are suspenseful. I recommend browsing through the numerous other titles Cross has published. I will say that I read and enjoyed Beautiful Familiar and The Haunting of Blackwitch Grange. Okay now we're going to take it back way back to the 19th century when novelist Elizabeth Gaskell penned the nine bone-chilling horror stories featured in the anthology Gothic Tales. This is a quintessential compilation of dark Victorian literature and is Gaskell's most morbid creation. What's interesting is that Gaskell was primarily known for writing about Victorian society. North and South is her most popular work and she wrote the first biography on my favorite Victorian author Charlotte Bronte, appropriately titled The Life of Charlotte Bronte. But she obviously enjoyed writing horror fiction and even caught the attention of Charles Dickens who published her ghost stories in his magazine Household Words back to the book. As the headline promises, Gothic Tales presents eerie short stories weaving horrifying narratives of hysteria, curses, witch trials, and sexually deviant behavior. You can dig into anecdotes that include Disappearances, The Grey Woman, and Curious If True. This is 19th century horror fiction at its best, and I think the tales in the book will have you breaking out in goosebumps and send chills down your spine. I am super excited to talk about this next selection. Who out there has heard of The Hangman's Daughter Tales by Oliver Putsch? If you haven't, part of that could be because these books were originally written in German but have been translated into more than 20 languages, including English. I've read all the books in the series and I believe there are more to come. Fans of historic fiction will have a particular penchant for these novels as they're based on what life was like for hangmen in 17th century Germany. In a nutshell, executioner Jacob Kusel and his daughter Magdalena are the star characters who encounter spine-chilling, life-threatening predicaments. The really fun fact is that the author is descended from a line of hangmen on his mother's side. Yes, you heard that right. So Oliver Putch hails from Munich, Germany, and he's done extensive research on his ancestry. The novelist has traced 14 hangmen in his family lineage who practiced between the 16th and 19th centuries in Bavaria. The character Jacob Kusel is actually named after one of his forebears who lived from 1612 to 1695. It may seem like a grim heritage, but it provided a treasure trove of grisly details for a captivating tale. Due to this legacy, much of how he portrays the life of an executioner and his family is quite representative of reality. Given the bloody nature of the trade, this group of citizens were treated as lepers of society, they were outcast and made to live on the outskirts of the town where they were employed, they were barred from all church practices, and had no hope of working or marrying outside of their class. To put it succinctly, hangmen were forced to stick together and keep it in the family. Author Putsch cites this as the reason his ancestors, the Cusals became a dynasty of assassins, making quite a name for themselves in the profession. With the Hangman's Daughter series, you not only have terrifying and suspenseful plots, but also one steeped in historical fact. Those who listened to the occult episode I did a while back will remember the following title I'm about to mention. It's Richard Cavendish's The Black Arts. I shared a few excerpts from the manuscript in episode 3. While not a horror narrative, this work will be appreciated by anyone interested in exploring the history of esotericism, demonology, and other left-hand path spiritual practices. It's a non-fiction piece that takes a scholarly approach to the realm of black magic. Cavendish was a historian who wrote extensively on the occult, and the black arts is a premier study into the subject. Chapters explore alchemy, infamous occult practitioners, numerology, necromancy, conjuration, devil worship, among other topics. I happened to find my copy from an independent bookstore local to where I live, and it was only a few dollars. The title totally caught my attention, and I was like, who would get rid of this? I took it as a sign that it was meant for me to find, and I'm glad the book presented itself to me. I also want to mention the book, Satanic Feminism, Lucifer as the Liberator of Women in Nineteenth-Century Culture. It's a bit of a lengthy title, but pretty much sums up what you can expect to find within the pages. It's by scholar Per Faxnelt who's done plenty of research on the history of Satanism. The book delves into how the Satan figure was frequently aligned with women in art, literature, and politics in both positive and negative ways, and how in the 19th century we start to see Lucifer being used as a champion for women and a symbol for female liberation. My favorite chapter was Satan as the Emancipator of woman in Gothic Literature. (laughs) I'm gonna be honest, this is not by any means light reading. It's more than 600 pages in length and is an intensive academic study. I literally just finished the book a couple of weeks ago and it took me about a year to get through for a few reasons. One, I was reading other books. And second, because the book presents a lot of complex ideas, I really wanted to take my time reading the material presented. It takes my mind longer to process information, so I would read chunks, sometimes reread parts if I was confused, just to understand the ideas and concepts being communicated. It was a book I turned to when I knew I had a window of time to sit and focus. I definitely recommend if you're into literary analysis, occult studies, and historical research. Alright now let's return to horror fiction. To many, Bram Stoker's Dracula is the birth of vampire fiction. But John William Polidori's The Vampire, spelled with a Y instead of an I, predates Stoker's work by nearly 80 years and is actually the progenitor of the genre. The novella, which was published in 1819, was written during a stormy summer when Polidori, Marion Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron created a contest to see who could write the best ghost story. The plot features an enigmatic Lord Withfin who attracts the attention of a young man named Aubrey. The two travel abroad together, but circumstances soon become unsettling to Aubrey, who can't seem to escape his companion. Hmm, I wonder why. Now, unlike the last book I talked about, Satanic Feminism, this story is super short and under 50 pages, depending on what version you get. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. From the name, you probably guessed this book was inspired by the Jane Austen classic, Pride and Prejudice. Writer Seth Graham Smith took the 19th century novel and cleverly gave it a spooky twist. Certain details remain the same, such as the tortured love dynamic between witty Elizabeth and snobby Mr. Darcy, but with gore, blood, and monsters thrown in. The Bennet sisters are fully trained in martial arts by their father and are living during a time of an impending zombie apocalypse. It's a hilarious read, especially when you imagine proper young ladies wielding sabers and engaging in combat. Dawn of the Dreadfuls and Dreadfully Ever After continue the story set forth in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies but were penned by a different writer. It was also adapted into a film but I recommend reading it first. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies has also inspired other authors to transform literary classics into entertaining horror stories such as Vampire of Wuthering Heights by Amanda Paris inspired by, you probably guessed it, the Emily Bronte novel, Wuthering Heights. We travel back a few centuries for the following story, Inferno by Dante Alighieri. A narrative that takes you into the bowels of hell needs to be included on this list. Inferno is part one of the three-part 14th century poem called The Divine Comedy, a veritable work of ingenuity from Italian writer, Alighieri follow Dante as he descends the nine circles of hell, with Roman poet Virgil as his guide, each level more malevolent than the one before it. Unspeakable torture, rotting souls, and nightmarish beasts are part of the journey. This is a challenging read but well worth it, I've read excerpts when I was studying literature. It's an influential work that's inspired a lot of dark art. William Blake and Salvador Dalí are just two artists who've created paintings, rendering scenes from the Divine Comedy, and I wouldn't be surprised if it were inspiring contemporary dark art. The front cover of this next book has a tagline that reads, She's only 8 years old, what a cute little killer. I am referring to The Bad Seed by William March. So while I haven't read the book, I have seen the 1956 movie adaptation as a kid, and was shocked. Horror flicks that feature a child as the central evil are absolutely twisted because it flips the white held perception of children as the innocents. Rhoda is the little girl at the heart of the story who appears sweet, but then sociopathic behaviors emerge. When her mother draws connections between her daughter and the deaths of fellow students, the plot turns grisly. Yes, I've seen the film, but reading provides a different experience, so I do want to dive into the book. And if you haven't, I definitely suggest watching the movie version from 1956. I recently discovered while preparing for this episode that there's a new film adaptation created in 2018 with Rob Lowe, and the focus shifts from mother-daughter relationship to father-daughter. I haven't seen it, so not sure how good it is, but thought I'd mention it. Moving on, these next dark read recommendations are by Poppy Z. Wright. I first heard of Poppy Z. Bright as a gothling because he was one of the authors whose work was required reading if you were in the goth scene. Before I continue, I do want to mention that the writer used to go by the pronoun she, but his preferred pronoun is now he. Bright has been very open on transgender topics and his experience with gender dysphoria. I wanted to clear that up in case there are any listeners who are familiar with this author when he still went by she. I didn't want there to be any confusion as to me referring to Bright as he, him. Alright, back to the books. Lost Souls, a vampire story, catapulted him into the horror genre. He followed it with Drawing Blood, where he put a different spin on the classic haunted house narrative. In it, we meet Trevor, who returns to his childhood home in New Orleans to discover why his father murdered his family, then committed suicide. Ghosts of the past soon return to torture him. Bright's third novel, Exquisite Corpse, incited controversy when it was released, dealing with topics such as necrophilia, cannibalism, and victimization. During the 2000s, the author moved away from the horror genre, so his later books aren't exactly in the same vein. Then he stopped writing and announced he was retiring. But I found out that he is out of retirement and is working on a non-fiction book titled Water If God Wills It, Religion and Spirituality in the Work of Stephen King. By the title it sounds really interesting and I'm sure fans of Stephen King are excited about it. Bright has set up a page on Patreon for anyone wanting to help fund the project. Um, When you go onto the Patreon site and start typing Poppy, P-O-P-P-Y in the search bar, he comes up right away. Okay, so all you listeners are getting a special bonus because this next novel was not included in the blog post version of this episode. The book actually wasn't released when I wrote the piece. It came out during the latter half of 2020. It's Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. The title alone got me amped up to read it and reviews described it as having Victorian Gothic elements and being reminiscent of the Bronte sisters' Gothic writing style. Plus, as a Latina who is proud of my Mexican heritage, I was excited to read a narrative by a Latina and centered in Mexico. The story takes place in the Mexican countryside during the 1950s. It follows socialite Noemi Taboada, who receives a disturbing letter from her cousin Catalina, who has just married into a wealthy English family. In the cryptic note, her cousin says her safety is being threatened by the Doyle family and begs Noemi to come save her. She travels to High Place Mansion, which is sequestered in the mountains. It's not long before the protagonist realizes that the English family is hiding skeletons in the closet and that the mansion may very well be haunted by ominous spirits. I can't express enough how much I enjoyed this novel and it totally harkens back to the gothic tales of yore. It's one of those books I'll be revisiting. We've arrived at the final recommendation on this list of must read dark books. The Simon Necronomicon by Abdul Alhazred. Much mystery surrounds the existence of a real Necronomicon ever since HP Lovecraft first mentioned the ancient occult text in his fiction. The grimoire makes appearances in a few of Lovecraft's stories where he credits a man named Abdul al-Hazred, also known as the Mad Arab, as the creator of the original work. For Lovecraft, the Necronomicon was an element to further develop the mythos behind his tales, but several publications bearing the title have sprouted over the decades claiming to reveal the secrets of the true manuscript. The version I purchased, the Simon Necronomicon, appears to be the most notorious. It was published during the 1970s and edited by a man named Simon who claimed this to be the testimony recorded by Alhazred in the 8th century. The work cautions readers to not take the incantations and rituals featured in the book lightly and to be wary of the forces summoned. The editor is just as mysterious of a figure as the Mad Arab. It's said he placed himself in mortal danger to obtain this Book of the Black Earth, and his whereabouts have been unknown since 1984. A man named Peter Lavenda has been accused of being Simon, but he repeatedly denies it, although he does admit he was involved with the making of the Necronomicon. Last year, I came across a 2002 article titled The Simon Interview, written by someone who said he tracked down the editor, uh, discovered he was living in Malaysia, and interviewed him via email. I tried to look it up again on the web and couldn't find the interview. I have the Necronomicon book and have gotten halfway through it. Nothing odd has happened after me purchasing it and going through it, but I think there are some people out there that believe creepy things will happen if you own the book. There are a lot of sigils, invocations in another tongue, and very elaborate rituals. I haven't tried to put any of it into practice, and I'm not sure if I believe the book is actually what it claims to be. I view it more as an extension of the myth H.P. Lovecraft set forth in his stories. Regardless of the tomb being fact or fiction, it has an enigmatic history with many people steadfastly believing it holds a dark secret. Well, I hope you enjoyed this selection, which gives but a taste of macabre works out there. This is a small pond of books among a vast ocean of dark literature that exists. Thank you all for joining me on another episode of Vamp Jen's Corner. Again, you can visit my official website at jenvoskis.com where you'll find my latest content and what I've been up to. If you like what you've been hearing and are interested in supporting the podcast, feel free to donate by clicking in the link in the show description. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at jen_v_official. Until next time, stay odd and macabre.